folks joining us online. So great to welcome you to our service. This is our annual back-to-school weekend, which is a little bit different than what we normally do. And so this part of the service, we invite our children in. We're going to recognize and honor and celebrate them and then pray for them in just a moment. We're going to start by bringing our, uh, the ones that are involved in children's ministry, uh, our elementary-age kids. And come on up here on the steps with me on the platform so you can be clearly seen. We'll give them a minute or two to take their place, and then we'll bring the rest of our students down. We always make it a, a part of our service to pray a very special prayer for our students as they head back to school. Some of them have already started school. Isn't that crazy to think you go back to school in July? But uh, some of them are getting ready to start back this next week. But we just are so thankful uh, for all of them. So just come on in and find a spot, make your way in. Everybody looks so good. Find your mom and dad out there and wave at them. Do you know where they are? Anybody? Some of them up there on the shelf. Anybody up there? It's kind of hard to see with the lights in your eyes, isn't it? Any parents up there on the shelf? All right. They're up there. Okay. Now, as our, our little ones come and take their place, then this is where we invite all the rest of the students in the service to come on down and just make a big long line down here, and I'll come and find you if you don't come. So get up and come on down right now. We do this every year, all the way up. If you're heading back to school, then you come on down. We're going we're gonna to recognize you, honor you, and celebrate you this morning. All right. This is one of the best parts. This is always such an inspirational service when we do this. Isn't that great? Come on down from the balcony. We'll wait on you. While they're coming down to take their place, I think most of you know him, but this is Mike Sheely. He's our middle school pastor, our preteen and middle school pastor. Absolutely. One of these days, I'm going to wear my hair like him. I don't think I can do this, though, but I'm going to, I'm going to wear the... I don't think my wife would let me do that, even if I could. You've got a great wife. So, uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> but Mike has been on staff with us for how long? Uh, it'll be 10 years in December. 10 years in December. Isn't that great? I tell you all the time, we have children's pastors, middle school pastor, high school pastor who make a lifelong impact on your kids. And so I hope that you uh, give them that chance. Well, Mike's, I'm going to turn this over to Mike, and he's going to pray for our students, okay? So let's all bow together, and uh, Pastor Mike is going to pray for all of you this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time of year. Uh, it's been a great, busy, awesome summer for our church, for these students, for these families. And now is the time where we get ready to make that transition to back to school. And for some of these students, it's the very first time they're walking into the doors of the schoolroom. And for some of them, it's the very last year of their high school year, and there's a bunch in between. And God, we know that just like with, with Moses, with Joshua, with the disciples, you spoke those words to be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. And for these students, as they get ready to start a new school year, I pray that they would remember that everywhere we go, God is with them. I pray for their parents as we get ready for school to start, that we would remember that God is with our students wherever they go. I pray these students would be a shining light and example to their classmates, to their teachers, to those they see in the hallways, their bus drivers, that people would see them and know that they are different because they've been with Jesus. And God, I pray these students would help their classmates and friends get to know you in a very real way this school year. 
Thank you for these great people who teach them and help them to learn about the world that you've created. May they grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. May they be like Jesus. Give them a great year this year that they would grow more and more in every way like him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right, let's celebrate these students as they head back to their classes and to their seats. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks so much. And once we let these little ones get off the stage, we got a special video we want you to watch once we let these little ones get off the stage. So before we dim the lights here, head on down right this way, okay? You can head on down this way. Now just watch your step. All right. Pretty cool. You grow up to be a preacher, you can be up here all the time. Hey, give a look at this special video this morning. If I didn't care more than words can say, if I didn't care, would I feel this way? If this isn't love, then why do I? And what makes my head go round and round While my heart stands still If I didn't care Would it be the same? Would my every prayer be... I think next year we might just call this Go Hug a Teacher Weekend. How about that? Yeah, that's a fun video. Well, it's always a great weekend, and one of the challenges that I have every year at Back to School Weekend is to try to, we always step away from what we're studying at the current time and focus our attention on this weekend to try to find a challenge that's applicable to everybody in the room, but especially applicable to all of you who teach and lead and serve our students, and we're going to have a time in just a few minutes where we recognize, honor, celebrate, and pray for you. And uh, so what I want to do is spend just a few minutes talking to you about the power of encouragement. If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I want you to go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Acts and find the ninth chapter. Let me hear pages turning to the book of Acts and the ninth chapter. I know that all of us understand the power of encouragement, and I'm sure we could all tell a story about how someone has encouraged us and it made a great difference in our lives. Well, there's a story like that in the Bible, and that's what we're going to think about and talk about for the next several minutes. Uh, And so if you've got your Bibles open or you're close to Acts chapter 9, let's go ahead and stand together in reverence for God's Word like we always do as we read His Word together. If you're a guest, thanks so much for being with us today. It's a great joy to welcome guests into our service. I say this all the time if you're a guest. Every weekend when we gather to worship, we make the public reading of Scripture a significant part of our service. And because we love and respect God's Word, we stand when we do that. I want you to follow along. I'm going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 20 through 30, but before I do that, everybody look up here. This is not our text. We're going to look at a selected passage in Acts 9, Acts 11, and Acts 15. This is the Acts 9 passage. This is just where we're going to start, 
And the words that we're going to read are written about the Apostle Paul right after his conversion to Christ. So, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 20. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul, that was Paul's name when we first meet him, yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that he had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of His Word. There's no question today that besides Jesus, the central character in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. But if you know anything about Paul's story when he began his ministry, when he began to follow his calling upon his conversion, which is what we just read about, you know that he would have been in a really bad way if it wouldn't have been for one man in particular who came alongside of him, and that man's name was Barnabas. We read about him just a moment ago. We first encounter Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. Don't turn your Bibles there. Just a few chapters before where we were in chapter 9. And uh, he was a part of the very first church when it began in the city of Jerusalem. Now, that church began with a huge number of people. On the day that it began, 3,000 people were baptized. The Bible says that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. There were several thousand people in that first church. And so that created a lot of physical needs, but those needs were met met by people like Barnabas who were encouragers. In fact, listen to these words, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 34. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, note this, whom the apostles called Barnabas which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So the first time we meet him, we see that he's involved in the act of encouraging. In fact, Barnabas wasn't even his name. His name was Joseph, but the disciples changed his name to Barnabas because, as we just read, it means son of encouragement. But that's not the only way he was an encourager. And what I want to do for a few minutes is I want to just focus on four specific qualities of an encourager that can be seen in the life of Barnabas. And these qualities are applicable to all of us, but I have to believe this weekend that they're especially applicable to you who teach, who lead, and who serve students in some capacity. So let's just go through and we'll do it kind of quickly. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this first thing down next to number one. The first thing we learn about encouragement from Barnabas is that encouragers accept you where you are. Write that down next to number one encouragers accept you where you are. Now, we just read in Acts chapter 9 about Paul's conversion. Now, just for the sake of consistency, obviously, when we first meet him, his name is Saul, but later on in ministry, 
God changed his name to Paul. For the sake of no confusion and consistency, we're just going to call him Paul, okay? Everyone say okay. Okay, we understand that. So in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19, we read the story of his conversion. And then beginning in verse 20 through 30 that we just read, we see what happens to him next. And it wasn't an easy beginning because at one point in his life, he was completely dedicated to doing everything possible to destroy this new movement where people were becoming followers of Christ. In fact, one of the verses we read, verse 21 said, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Even though he had had this conversion experience, many people didn't believe he was being genuine. And there was a reason for that skepticism because he had been such a harsh enemy of the church. You go back to Acts chapter 8. This is before his conversion in Acts chapter 9, and this is what we read about him. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, it says, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. And so after his conversion, he went to Damascus, but because of a death threat in Damascus, he traveled to the city of Jerusalem where he tried to join the disciples, and they said, no way, man. We're not going to have anything to do with you. And I can understand their fear, at least on some level, I can understand that. But what happened next? Well, what happened next is this man Barnabas comes along, and he made all the difference for Paul in the early days of his ministry. In fact, we just read verses 27 and 28 said, but, par- but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, what did Barnabas do, friends? What he did was he took the initiative to accept Paul right where he was. And then he made sure that the apostles accepted him. In other words, he took the initiative to give Paul a second chance. And that's what encouragers do. In fact, that's an important quality of an encourager. Encouragers are willing to accept you right where you are so they can help you get to where you need to be. They don't focus, encouragers don't focus on your past. They don't focus on your reputation. In fact, they have this incredible ability to look past those things so that they can help you start fresh right where you are. Encouragers understand the importance of accepting people where they are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 is one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Everyone say new creation. New creation. And then it goes on to say, the old is gone and the new has come. And encouragers, spiritual encouragers, Christian encouragers, they understand the power of that truth. In fact, you know who wrote those words, right? The Apostle Paul. And if anybody who ever lived had the reason to celebrate the fact that when he became a Christian, the old was gone and the new was come, then it was the Apostle Paul. And I'm telling you this morning something that we all understand and we all already know. The world is full of people who need someone who will be willing to accept them where they are in order to help them get to where they need to be. That's applicable to all of us, but I've got to believe this morning that's especially applicable to those of you who teach and lead and serve students that during the school year, you see young people every single day who desperately need someone to accept them right where they are in a variety of different contexts, right where they are in order to help them get to where they need to be. This is what an encourager does. Right down next to number two. The second thing we learned from Barnabas is encouragers celebrate progress. Encouragers celebrate progress. Let me give you just a little bit of an 
New Testament history lesson in order to make this point. One of the most significant events that happens early on in the book of Acts is recorded in Acts chapter 7, and it's the martyrdom of a man named Stephen. Now, I hope you understand what a martyr is. A martyr is someone who gives his life for a cause. And in Stephen's case, he gave his life for the cause of Christ, for his faith in Christ. Basically, Stephen was a very, very righteous man. Acts chapter 7 describes him as being full of God's grace and power. But he was so righteous that his life exposed the unrighteousness of the current religious leaders. And so they had a conflict which resulted in Stephen being murdered, being brutally executed by being stoned to death. And Paul, pre-conversion Paul, when he was still Saul, was there when it happened. Acts chapter 7 and verse 60, this is at the end of the story, says this, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Well, what happened as a result of that uh, martyrdom as a result of Stephen's death is this great persecution broke out against the believers in the church, the very first church in Jerusalem. And when the persecution broke out, the believers scattered. And everywhere they went, as they scattered, they shared the message of Christ. Now, having said that, I want you to turn a page or two to your right to Acts chapter 11. Go from Acts chapter 9 to Acts chapter 11. When you get to Acts chapter 11, scroll down to verse 19. And I'm going to read verses 19 through 23. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Let's stop right there. Now, we just read about something very significant that happened in the early days of the New Testament church. As some of these believers were scattered by the persecution, they went to Antioch, and some of them shared the message of Christ, were told, to Greeks or with Greeks. And as a result, the Lord's hand was upon them, and a great number of them believed. Now, here's what that means. That means for the very first time, listen to me close, in the context of a church plant, in the, in the greater context of the establishment now of a new community of faith, the message of Christ, the gospel message, the saving message of Christ is being shared with people who are not Jewish. Now, these, these, these Greeks were not the first Gentile converts. That's the word we use for people who aren't Jews, Gentiles. They're not the first Gentile converts in the book of Acts. That happened in Acts chapter 10 with a man named Cornelius. But this is the first time in the setting, in the larger setting of the planting of a church where the message of Christ is shared with non-Jews or Gentiles. Now, listen to me. That was huge. That was huge. And when that news got back to the church in Jerusalem, and the translation is when that got back to the apostles, they needed to send somebody to check this out to see if it was legitimate, and the person they chose was our man Barnabas. And that was a great choice because we've already seen that Barnabas is someone who is willing to accept you where you are. That's what encouragers do. They accept you where you are. And when Barnabas got to Antioch and he witnessed firsthand what was happening there, when he witnessed firsthand how the grace of God was making a difference in all of these people's lives, Verse 23 says, he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. In other words, he celebrated what was happening. He celebrated the progress that was being made for the gospel in Antioch 
in the lives, again, of all these believers, not just the Jewish converts, but the Gentile, Gentile converts as well. Now, I don't have time to go into detail in explaining this, but I want you to listen to me close. This was a really big deal because not all of the Jews who had become followers of Christ at this time were excited about this because they believed the message of Christ was exclusively for them. But Barnabas, Barnabas didn't go to Antioch with that preconceived idea. He didn't go to Antioch with any preconceived ideas. He just went there to see what was happening, and when he saw the grace of God at work, he celebrated it. This is what encouragers do. How, I mean, how many of us know how, that this is an incredibly great quality in somebody's life? You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans in the 12th chapter that we need to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How many of you know it's easier sometimes to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who rejoice? Because sometimes we look at other people's celebrations or other people's victories or other people's success or other people's progress, and we kind of have a selfish perspective where it's hard for us to celebrate with them because all we think about is how much we wish that was happening in our lives or why that should be happening in my life. And why isn't that happening in my life? And sometimes we're not all that ready to celebrate all of the great things that we see happening around us. I was with some of my preacher friends not long ago, and we were kind of catching up, and we were talking about preachers that we know that we went to college with and where they were and what was happening in their ministry. And we talked about one particular fellow who's leading a dynamic church in a metropolitan city down in the south. The city is just booming with growth, and the church is just growing exponentially. And, you know, instead of celebrating what God was doing there, one of the guys I was with spoke up and in a real derisive kind of way said, well, you know, you got to be an idiot not to be able to build a church in a setting like that. What does that sound like to you? Jealousy, sour grapes, unhappiness. My life's not having that kind of success, so I can't celebrate someone else's success. That's not right. Encouragers are not that way. Encouragers aren't focused on themselves. Encouragers are focused on others, and because of that, they're more than happy to celebrate the good things that are happening in other people's lives. And that's a quality that we all need to embrace. Whatever God's got going on in your life or my life or whatever He has planned for your life or my life, that's what God's going to do. We can't worry about that. We can't worry about what other people are doing, but we certainly should celebrate when we see success happening in someone's life. That's a quality of encouragement that's applicable to all of us, but again, certainly applicable to those of you who have the opportunity to serve and influence students. Encouragers are just people who are open-minded and rejoice when good things happen. Write this down next to number three. We've got to move quickly. Encouragers, here's the third thing we see in Barnabas's life. Encouragers meet needs. And we're going to stay right here in Acts chapter 11 to talk about this. We ended uh, our story there about what was happening in the church in Antioch in verse 23. Let's pick it up in verse 24 and just read verses 24 through 26. Uh, Luke, as he records the story of the book of Acts, goes on to write this. And he starts to talk about Barnabas in this first verse because Barnabas goes there and he's he rejoices in what he sees, he celebrates what he sees, and he encourages all the people that have remained true to the Lord with all their hearts. That's how verse 23 ended. Then verse 24 says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So he continued uh, to celebrate, and he was a part of the success that was happening there. Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, that's Paul, 
to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And here's the answer to a trivia question. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That's the first time they were called Christians. Now that the message in the context of a church plant is not just for Jews but for Gentiles alike, these people of faith are now called Christians. I love this story. I don't think it requires a lot of explanation, the idea here behind the truth that encouragers meet needs. So Barnabas goes to Antioch to see what's happening in this new church plant, and uh, he sees that it's booming. He, He sees that the message of Christ is being received by different kinds of people, and that's, and that's what happens. We're at a point in church history when we get to Acts chapter 11 where the message of Christ is for everyone, salvation is for everyone, and he is a part of it. He is a part of uh, the fruit that's being born there, the success that's happening, but at some point what happens is Barnabas stops and he thinks to himself, you know, there's a great need here, but there's also a great opportunity here. The great need here is for these people to be taught and for these people to be led. But the great opportunity here is this would be a perfect place for Paul to really get involved in local church ministry and local church leadership. And so he leaves what's happening. He goes and he finds Saul or Paul and he brings him back to Antioch and together they serve the Lord there. Now, here's what I think happened. I think that Barnabas just intuitively knew two things. He intuitively knew that God had a very special plan for Paul, which he did. We see that revealed in the Scriptures. But he also intuitively knew that Paul was a man who was uniquely gifted. And these people needed him. They needed him. They needed to hear him teach. And they needed to meet him and to see the difference that Jesus had made in his life. And so Barnabas, instead of saying, you know what, this is really cool, I'm on the front lines of this new work that's happening, I can be recognized as the leader, I'm the one who was sent here by the the main church in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, I was just a spoke in the wheel, but I can be the main leader here, I can be the lead pastor, I can be the preacher, the teacher, I can be the one that gets all the attention. Instead of being worried about that, he leaves and he goes and gets Paul, and together they lead this ministry. And what you see happening over a period of time in the partnership between Paul and Barnabas is that even though Barnabas probably was the greater of the two in the beginning, that starts to shift and Paul begins in terms of influence and notoriety to be the greater of the two ultimately. But it didn't matter to Barnabas. He, wasn't care- he didn't care about his place in that church. He didn't care about the leadership structure in that church. All he cared about was meeting a need for those people and meeting a need for Paul who was beginning his ministry. That's all he cared about. The bottom line is encouragers don't serve others, or excuse me, don't serve themselves, they serve others. And that makes them like Jesus because Jesus himself said that he didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Encouragers meet needs. They don't care about themselves or whether they get any recognition or whether they get any honor. They just care about meeting the needs of others. And I'm gonna say it again. That's applicable for all of us because we all need to be encouragers in life, but that's especially applicable to people who serve and influence children. One last thing real quickly. One last thing, and I think this is the best truth of all. The fourth thing that I see about Barnabas with regard to what an encourager looks like is encouragers give people a second chance. Encouragers give people a second chance. Now, I want you to fast forward with me in your Bible from Acts chapter 11 over to Acts chapter 15. Turn there with me. 
And when you get there, scroll down to verse 37. And let me just tell you what's going to happen here, what happens between Acts 11 and Acts chapter 15. So Paul and Barnabas minister there in the church in Antioch. And at some point, the church in Antioch decides they're going to set apart Paul and Barnabas and send them on a missionary journey. How many of you know that Paul went on three great missionary journeys in his life? Well, this is the first one. This is the first one. And so they leave to go on this missionary journey, but they're not alone. They take another man with them, and his name was John or John Mark or Mark. It's, it's all the same person. It's the Mark who is the author of the gospel of Mark. And it happens in Acts chapter 13. That's where they're set apart. That's where it all begins. But early on in the journey, and this is recorded in Acts chapter 13 and verse 13, John Mark leaves them. There's no explanation given as to why. He just leaves them. He just goes home. And so Paul and Barnabas finish this first missionary journey without him on their own. Now you fast forward to Acts chapter 15 where we've got our Bibles open, and Paul and Barnabas are going to go on a second missionary journey. But in the beginning, there's a little bit of a hitch, and we read about that hitch in verses 37 through 40. Here it is. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of our Lord. Now, this reveals, friends, look up here. This reveals one of the greatest qualities of an encourager. An encourager is someone who's willing to give another person a second chance. An encourager is someone who realizes that failure, one failure in life, does not mean total failure. And so they say, try again. They're willing to extend a hand to someone and say, try again. And that's what Barnabas did for Mark. Why do you think he did that? Well, there's a simple answer that we could come to. Um, later on in the New Testament, when the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, he reveals to us that Barnabas and John Mark were actually cousins. And so you could say, well, he did it because they were family. And uh, family's important. Staying together and supporting one another is important. But there is some speculation that maybe there was another reason why Barnabas felt compelled to give John Mark this opportunity. Uh, you know, when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose from the dead and then returned to heavenly glory, one of the first things that happened afterward, and you read this in Acts chapter 1, is the apostles got together to replace Judas Iscariot, who was one of the original 12, who, as we know, betrayed the Lord and then, out of the weight of guilt for that, went out and hung himself. And so they replaced him early on, and when they replaced him, they had two candidates. They had a man named Matthias, and they had a man named Joseph Barsabbas. Joseph bar Sabbath. And in the end, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and Matthias was the one who took the place of Judas. And you can't dispute that because we know the Lord's hand directed all of that, right? Everyone say right. The Lord's hand directed all of that. But some Bible scholars believe that it's possible that this man who didn't get chosen, who was rejected as the replacement of Judas, this Joseph bar Sabbath was actually the same Joseph that the apostles ended up renaming Barnabas, which means, as we saw earlier, son of encouragement. Now, having said that, if that's the case, then that could give us some insight into why Barnabas was so intent on giving John Mark a second chance, because he would have been someone who would have known firsthand the difficulty and the pain of being rejected for something that you really wanted to do. 
I imagine he would have felt like it was a great honor to replace Judas and become one of the original 12 apostles. But he didn't get that opportunity. If that's the case, and it's purely speculation, understand that, it's purely speculation. If that's the case, that just reveals even more depth to the character of Barnabas. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had somebody in your life be willing to give you a second chance? There's some area of life, and it it doesn't necessarily have to be a spiritual area of life, but there's some area of life, could be spiritual, where you made a mistake and you did something foolish or you blew an opportunity or something like that, but someone was willing to extend a hand and give you a second chance. You know, if that's been your experience, you know the incredible impact that that can have on someone's life. And that's what Barnabas was willing to do with John Mark. You know, another interesting thing, even though Matthias was the one, again, back to the speculation that that Joseph in Acts chapter 1 could have actually been the same man that we're talking about today, Barnabas. Uh, as 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 you go on from the book of Acts, Matthias was the one that was chosen to replace Judas, but very little after that, very little is written or known about Matthias, but a great deal is written and known about Barnabas. Which just, again, if, he, if they were the same person, just reveals more depth of character for him because he didn't let the disappointment of that keep him from continuing to serve the Lord, and he didn't let it keep him from finding his place in God's plan for the world. Encouragers are someone who is willing to give another person a second chance. And of all the things that we've talked about that is applicable for all of us as we go through life, this has got to be especially applicable to those who teach and lead and serve and influence students. You've got to, through the school year, meet dozens of young people who are in need of a second chance. You're the person who can do that for them in some way And who knows the kind of impact it can make on their life. Painter Benjamin West tells a story about how when he was growing up, he loved to paint. And whenever his mother would go away, he would get out. She was a kind of a painter by hobby. He would get out her oil paints, her oil colors, and her canvases and brushes and try to paint. And he would always try to get it cleaned up before she came home. But one day, he kind of made a mess, and he spilled the paint, and the canvases were everywhere, and the brushes were not cleaned. And he hoped he could get it cleaned up before she came back, but... He didn't, and she came back, and she discovered the mess, and he was just sure that she was going to punish him, but he said, as he writes about it later in life, what she did next completely surprised me. He said, she came in, and she quietly knelt down and began to pick up the mess and clean up the mess, and after it was over, she paused, and she looked at what I had been painting, and she said, what a beautiful painting, and then he said, she leaned over, and she kissed him on the cheek and walked away. And when he remembered that story later, as an adult, he wrote these words. He said, with that kiss, I became a painter. Or in other words, that made all the difference for me. That made all the difference in my life. And my point to you would be this this morning. You just never know what kind of difference you can make in someone's life. You don't know the power of your influence and the power of impact until you take the time to reach out, to listen, to encourage. And that's what all of us are called to do.
Oftentimes, it's just as simple as being spiritually sensitive enough to recognize opportunities where you can be the light of Christ. I got a video I want to show you about a couple of teachers in our church who have had that experience, and then I'll come back and we'll pray. This past spring, when uh, Pastor Chris did the message on being a peacemaker, I was dealing with a couple students at school that were causing some problems in calculus. They were struggling in calculus, so I was therefore I was struggling with them. And after hearing that message, I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the I'm going to be the bigger person. I'd like to think I eventually come around to it, but that mess, that sermon, really convicted me. And I called them into my room that Monday morning and said, "Hey, we got to deal with this. Um, I'm sorry if I've upset you." And all I want to do is I just want to make this be a great experience for the rest of your high school career. And so that, that message of being a peacemaker just really convicted me. Just this past week, I had a student who was really struggling with a family situation. And it just boiled down to him being anxious. And just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Chris was talking to us about not worrying. And I could share Philippians 4, 6 with him and give him something to meditate on and think about other than the situation that's going to direct his focus toward Christ, which is where he needs to be to get the strength that he needs. And that's what I love about our church. Um, that's what I love about Mount Pleasant and Pastor Chris and his ability to make those practical um, teachings applicable to us in our daily lives. And so it's really awesome when I get to use that, especially with my students. Teachers making an impact on the lives of students through encouragement. Hey, at this time, I'm going to invite all of our teachers and our administrators and those who serve students in any capacity to come on down front like we always do. And we're going to recognize you, honor you, celebrate you, and pray for you. So just get up right where you are. Uh, whether you do it in a preschool setting, elementary, middle school, high school, you do it in a homeschool setting. Uh, if you serve students some way, you're a, you're a, you drive a bus, you work in the school in some capacity, you're a teacher's aide, whatever it might be, we want you to come down. Come down from the balcony. We'll give you time to get down here. And uh, we want to make this a special time of recognizing all of you. It's always a blessing, first of all, to see all of our, our students up on the stage but it's, I think, an equal blessing to see all of our teachers because it just reminds us every year of, of how much influence there is through the ministry of this church or how much potential influence there is in the lives of so many young people. And it's just a great blessing. Yeah, we just, just find a spot. We're, we're always thrilled to be able to do this. And, and let's celebrate them real quickly while they're coming down. Let's just honor them and celebrate them this morning. Well, I want all of you men and women to know that we love you and we're so thankful for you and the calling that you have to, to serve students the way you do. And we, we want to pray for you right now. So let's bow together. Our Father in heaven, we do love you so very much. And we thank you for loving us. And we thank you for this weekend when we have the opportunity to, uh, to recognize and honor these, these folks, these men and women. And I really, I really do believe that they, they have a calling. And some of them can probably tell stories of how they felt this calling from a very young age. And then some of them can probably tell stories of, uh, that would sound like this. I never thought I would be here doing what I'm doing, but this is where God led me. And they could tell this incredible story about how God moved and worked in their life. But regardless of how they got to this place, we are so thankful for them and their commitment to serve students. And so first of all, this morning we pray for their protection and their safety. 
I think we're all uh, smart enough to know that we live, in a, we live in a world that's filled with evil and there's no corner in this world that evil sometimes doesn't touch. There's no place where that potential doesn't exist. And so watch over them, keep them safe as they, as they lead and as they are the custodians for periods of time of the lives of young people. Father, give them great wisdom. Wisdom in, in, in whatever field it is that they're involved in, academic wisdom, leadership wisdom, servant wisdom. Give them wisdom in those areas, but also give them spiritual insight, spiritual wisdom, spiritual sensitivity, spiritual hearts to recognize opportunities to encourage young people, maybe in some very specific ways. I, I imagine every one of these folks could tell you a story about some heartbreaking need they've encountered some desperate need they've encountered, students that they minister to who have no stability in their homes, who have no leadership and have great insecurities just about the basic needs of life. Give them wisdom to be able to encourage their students and the families of those students with whatever need comes along. And Father, give them courage and give them boldness when courage and boldness are required. Help them to speak words. Help them to, of life into the, into the students and the families. Help them to model Christ. Help them to shine a light in dark moments. Help them to know that you open doors and you close doors. The Bible says that. What, the doors that you open can't be shut. The doors that you close can't be opened. That you are the sovereign God over all things. And just help them to recognize those moments and then trust you. And Father, I pray for their perseverance and their, and their strength, and I pray that in moments when they become discouraged or disheartened or just worn out, that they would remember this moment, and they would remember that there's a church family here in Greenwood who loves and cares about them and, and is praying for them. And I, I hope that all of us will pray for them, not just in this moment, but whenever it comes to mind, we'll lift up a prayer, a word of prayer for these men and these women. Thank you for their lives. Bless their lives. We honor their lives and celebrate their lives today. And we offer all this up in the name of Jesus. And everyone has said, amen, amen. Let's celebrate them as they return to their seats today. Thank you so much for coming. And while they return, let's go ahead and stand. And Brian and the team is going to come, and we're going to sing a song.